This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. We also host the annual Wake Up Festival, a five-day experience of transformation, held in August of each year in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. You can also join our free direct access membership program and read transcripts of all of the Insights at the Edge podcasts and search our collection of podcasts with now more than 100 episodes available. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today I speak with Margot Anand. Margot Anand is an internationally acclaimed authority on Tantra and the cultivation of ecstatic states. She's the best-selling author of the book, The Art of Sexual Ecstasy, and a much-beloved teacher and founder of Skydancing Tantra. Margot's books, videos, and audio programs are widely regarded as the seminal teachings for integrating spirituality and sexuality, and for cultivating the art of ecstatic living. A native of France, Margot received her degree from the Sorbonne in Paris, and has spent decades studying with many of the world's prominent masters of Hindu and Buddhist Tantra, including the great mystic Osho in India. With Sounds True, Margot has released the audio program Sexual Magic Meditations, and a six-session audio course on the art of sexual magic, cultivating sexual energy to transform your life. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Margot and I spoke about bringing orgasmic energy up through the central channel of the body using breath and micro-movements. We also talked about multiple orgasms in both men and women, and underlying cultural dynamics that can be at play in exploring multiple orgasms. We talked about the role of the heart in tantric practice, and also the manifestation process, what Margot calls sexual magic, and how we can use the space of ecstasy for creation. We also talked about how meditation can create ecstasy through the whole body and beyond. Here's my conversation with a true pioneer, Margot Anand. Margot, you're well known as someone who has popularized Tantra in the West. And I know that now I'm speaking to you and you've been living in Bali for the last six or seven years or so. And of course, it makes sense that I would be talking to a tantric teacher who is in Bali. Bali seems like the perfect place. And I'm curious how your work has been evolving since you've been in Bali, how perhaps it's been changing at this point in your life. Mm. Well, I uh, decided when I moved to Bali to put the closed sign on the door uh, of my previous life and to no longer be a teacher and to no longer practice the previous spiritual practices I was practicing, to practice nothing, to teach nothing, to say nothing. And I did that for three years. 
And um, what emerged is something simple, uh, much more humble, uh, more mysterious, more graceful, and more in the moment. So I don't have a great new method, but I can say that what I'm now most interested in is the capacity of our brain to open up to new dimensions which uh, reveal themselves through what I call bioluminescence, which is the empowering of the pituitary, the pineal gland, and generally speaking, the brain's capacity to bring us to ecstatic states or to uh, expanded states in a natural way through meditation practice. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting that you're talking right here at the beginning of our conversation about the brain. Because one of the things I wanted to talk with you about is this quote that I found from your work, which is that the pinnacle of tantric practice is the orgasm of the brain. And I wanted to know, what do you mean by this? And the brain has an orgasm. Well, there's several ways of approaching this. The way that I developed is called Sky Dancing Tantra, and it has two poles. One is you begin with the root and you start from the earth. And uh, in this uh, case, the power of the sexual orgasm is included in the whole approach of the um, alchemical transformation of our vital energy And so through the ability to ride the power of the sexual orgasm, you move the energy through your energy centers or chakras. And in the marriage of energy and consciousness, you arrive at different states of consciousness. So in the heart, it is a heartgasm in which you feel like something in your being is opening and you're as if you were falling off a plane with a parachute. And you let go, you open deeply, and you enter into compassion with your partner, passion with. And then when the energy is channeled higher to the next chakras, you eventually end up in the brain, in the sahasrar, in the crown chakra. And there, the energy becomes a transcendence beyond the boundaries of the body into spaciousness and into a feeling of being one with all that is. Now, that is the movement going from the root to the crown. But there is another movement that was uh, brought forth by Sri Aurobindo, the founder of Auroville, and by many other teachers since, which uh, talks about the descent of the energy from the sky to the earth, which would mean that you start with the brain and you start with the powers of the brain to connect with um, expanded dimensions of consciousness, and then you move that down to the rest of your being. So after having explored sexuality in so many different ways, I became interested in that second approach. So that's the orgasm of the brain is either the one that is the sexual orgasm transmuted uh, and transformed into a finer and finer experience that doesn't so much depend on the genitals anymore but there is also another kind of orgasm which is ecstasy because it's the it's the orgasm of the brain is basically the ecstatic experience it's um you know a blink into god i would say (laughs) so really one way of putting what you're saying is that you're talking about an ascending current in the body as well as a descending current is that accurate yes 
that's accurate. And let's talk about both a little bit more. Here you are, you're talking about this descending current as something that has lately been of great interest to you. Can you talk a little bit, how do you bring the energy down through the body? How does that work for you? Um, well, it's not like there is a direction anymore. It's more like after doing certain meditative practices uh, and and focusing on the empowerment of um, various parts of the brains, um, you enter into a feeling that the body is... Um, kind of not really uh, a material anymore. It's not, uh, you, you become one with, this, with spaciousness and uh, with light. So the, the experience of light is important here. And um, um, there is then an ability to touch this deep inner joy, this deep inner source of, uh, of joy and of freedom and so you don't direct things at this point. Well, you do. Yeah, you do. You do. You direct things down from the higher chakras, through the throat, through the heart, through the belly, uh, with your mind, with your awareness. And um, energy follows consciousness. So little by little, you empower each of those centers in your body to be opening up to stronger and finer energies of light. And you're saying that this exploration is something through meditation, that you're opening the top of your head, the top of the crown chakra, and then experiencing this stimulation in the brain that then results in this experience of space and light? Yes, I am developing an approach which is based on working with certain energy points that are called vortex points and in which there is a connection between touch um, and uh, certain sounds and uh, focus of the mind in those points, uh, which then open us up to receive um, many um, universal energies, if you wish, or uh, stronger energies than we, we, we would normally perceive. And uh, wonderful. This is so exciting, Margo. What a fabulous development of your work. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's in its infancy. And I feel, I feel very uh, protective and very humble about it, because I couldn't say that I have mastered this one as much as I have mastered the rest. I am letting it unfold in a organic way. And I have my own struggles in it. And my struggles currently are based on the fact that I'm by nature a rebel. And this is a strong pattern in me. And I've had to have that pattern to do what I did. But at the same time, the rebel in me has a hard time uh, finding the discipline to have a regular meditation practice, which is really uh, required in this phase. And um, uh, when I enter into a regular meditation practice, I, I access um, amazing space of light and joy. And you would wonder... Why, if this is the case, I wouldn't want to have a regular practice. And then I get to the point where I ask myself, um, well, how much ecstasy can I hold? How much good is possible before it becomes too much? You know, and this is the ultimate question, even in sexuality, is how much orgasmic bliss can we hold at any given time? <laughs> 
you know, there is sort of this sense of la petite mort or the feeling that some part of us is disappearing and the ego is uh, holding on for dear life. It's kind of, you know. So this is my current struggle. You're exploring your thresholds for ecstasy. Can Margot Anand, the woman who wrote The Art of Sexual Ecstasy, go into even further and further and further ecstasy? You mentioned different parts of the brain that are stimulated. Can you say a little bit more about that? Uh, yes, I would say that the pituitary uh, gland, which is located sort of behind the eyes, uh, is actually called the third eye or referred to as uh, the gland corresponding to the third eye because it, it opens us up to the ability to see energy as light. And so we can see our inner energy in forms of um, geometric shapes or colors. And um, uh, this is uh, a sign that we are activating the pituitary gland. And then the pineal gland is the master gland um, through which uh, a certain current can circulate, which allows to balance out uh, all of our endocrine system. So by activating these uh, parts of our brain, we also balance out all of our endocrine system. We're like a gardener that's um, gardening the flowers in the garden. Mm -hmm. Now, let's talk about the ascending current, starting with the orgasmic energy of the genitals and how it's possible to bring that energy up to the brain. I mean, I know this is something that you taught on for several decades. Tell us what the essence of this is. When I start feeling orgasmic, what do I do? I don't just have a a normal genital release, but tantric practice involves a different approach. Um, Yeah, it involves, um, first of all, the art of relaxing in high states of arousal. So normally when we get aroused, we tense up and we want more and we're pushing or we're uh, striving towards a particular position or a particular sensation. And in this process, we often lose the, what, we, what our mind perceives as the maximum potential of that moment or of that orgasmic possibility. And so... The art here is to be willing to let go enough to relax into that sensation, not knowing where that sensation is going to take you. It could be that you lose it or it could be that you lose it momentarily and you come back to it. But the idea of relaxing into it also allows us to welcome more of this excitement energy, of this pleasure energy. And... um, as we find different ways of lovemaking, we actually can move in the same way that I mentioned before in a meditative way, uh, the sensations of the energy by placing our consciousness in different parts of the body. So, And then there is also, as I teach, uh, micro-movements of the sexual muscles and of our breathing, which gently uh, pull the sensations that are like an electrical current up the different chakras, up into the belly, into the heart. And so it's a very delicate yoga, which uh, needs a certain amount of practice to be mastered. But the ultimate uh, practice of that is um, the position, the, the 
the king's and queen's position in Tantra, which is the yabium, which is the man sitting in lotus uh, or in semi-lotus and the woman sitting on his lap. And in this, they can create a circle of energy that moves through the genitals, through their central channels, uh, with their breath, into their third eye or exchange via their breath and create a circle of energy that becomes very ecstatic and in which they are sky dancing, meaning they leave the sense of having a physical body and they feel that they are dancing in the sky. And is there a difference in this process for men and for women in this embrace? Um, yes, there is. Uh, it's, it's for both, actually, the art of mastering the path of the middle between the yin and the yang or between the being uniquely on the male side or uniquely on the active emissive side and uniquely on the receptive side or the female side. It's being in the middle and being able to uh, play with both polarities with each other. Um, so sometimes one is emissive and the other one is receptive and sometimes you switch and it's the man who's emissive and the woman who's receptive. And it all has to do with movement, with breath, with certain practices that are too complex to explain here. But it's very, very rewarding. The actual working with the orgasm process, is that different for a man than for a woman? Um, well, yes and no. I mean, for the man, it is the ability to not... Uh, release his seed and to keep the energy and the excitement within himself so he can move it uh, through the inner central channel that I call the inner flute and move it to his heart and move it to his brain. And for the woman, it's actually the same process. But when you consider that our chakras have opposite polarities, like in a, in a female, the sexual center, which is chakra number one in my system, is receptive. Or feminine, and in the male, it's active, emissive, or masculine. So the fact that we have opposite polarities in these energy centers makes it much easier for us to share uh, energy and circulate energy between our sex, between our bellies, between our hearts, between our breasts, between our third eyes. And this is what makes it so fun. Mm -hmm. And how do you work with gay couples and lesbian couples in terms of exploring? the orgasm and tantric sex? Is there a different posture that you recommend or a different approach? Uh, well, we have a gay tantra institute in Germany, actually, and uh, we have quite a few people that are in the same sex couple configuration that can enjoy the tantric practices because even so, there is always one partner who will be at any given moment emissive or uh, the doer or the one who is giving to the other, and there will be the other one who is receiving. So in that sense, the partners can decide how they will share their energies and who is going to be in the yang position and who is going to be in the yin position. So it doesn't make that much of a difference. It still works very well. Mm -hmm. And now you mentioned the breath and micro-movements, and I'm wondering if you can say a little bit about both of those things. I think our listeners would find it really helpful in terms of working with this energy and moving it up the body. Um, yes, I teach uh, a practice which is called sexual breathing, and um, it's based on the understanding that breath carries energy, and it car carries the energy of excitement through the body, and so... Um, there is a, 
form of breathing where you imagine that you are inhaling or breathing through your genitals and inhaling and breathing in uh, the pleasure energy and the micro currents that are felt like electric currents that you breathe that in through your sex up to your heart and then you breathe it out from your heart down your sex and you give it or you imagine that you pass it to your partner again as you exhale while your partner is at the same time inhaling from their sexual center to their heart. And so there is a way of combining this breath with micro movements that are small pelvic rotations uh, backwards and forwards, which are the essence of lovemaking, but in a much smaller micro movement type of way. And actually, uh, in this practice, you can uh, circulate, you can begin to learn how to master and circulate your orgasmic energy. And it's very rewarding. Now, you said something very interesting, Margot, about your own ecstasy threshold, if you will. And you were pointing at this place where if you allow yourself to feel more and more and more ecstasy, that the ego dissolves and that that's part of why it's so scary. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that and what you might say to somebody who reaches some type of pleasure threshold and they think, you know, God, I just don't, I don't think I can really open to more pleasure or more ecstasy. Well, if, if you're talking about people that are making love, then it is a mutual, uh, how do you say, uh, yeah, you have to agree on and give the other permission to relax. That's very, very important, especially for a woman to hear from her partner, uh, you know, I love you, relax, um, it's fine. So the whole movement is in the traditions of the Taoist uh, practices and the tantric practices called the four joys because you climb to arousal and then you relax and then you climb again and you relax. So in the climbing, you're doing something and in the relaxation, you're not doing anything, but you're welcoming more pleasure, more energy, and you're allowing it to diffuse through the body. And so in this a deep relaxation and this deep non-doing, there is a fear of losing whatever you have, including your ego or your control, uh, the control of the personality who wants to direct the show. And it, this practice then is something that prepares you for the deeper uh, let go that happens in advanced uh, meditation practices where you are leaving the causal plane and you're entering into uh, what some call the fourth dimension. But I really don't want to go there because it's a bit complicated to explain and I'm not, I'm not a master of this yet. You know, I'm just a practitioner. That's fine. I'm curious, though, you mentioned the four joys and that's something I've never heard of. Can you explain that? Um, yes, this first joy is the joy of the body. The second joy is the joy of the heart. And the third joy is the joy of the spirit. And the fourth joy is the joy of the divine presence. So you augment, if you wish, the practice of orgasmic, cultivating orgasmic pleasure. And then you relax into it and you move it to your body, through the whole body. And then you augment it again by making love and then you relax into it. And you arrive at the art of moving it into your heart and so on and so forth. And um, there are several books, including Sexual Secrets uh, by Penny Slinger, 
and uh, her partner that uh, have designs and illustrations of this. But what I want to say regarding this is that with Sounds True, a long time ago, we recorded a wonderful series of audio tapes which um, talk about the power of being able to plant seeds of manifestation of creation when you are in ecstatic states. Because when you let go of your uh, control over things and you're just in a field of joy or a field of bliss, if you at that moment hold a, a, a simple but clear vision of what it is that you want to call forth or call to yourself, it is like telling the universe, I am feeling totally open and please bring this on. Please magnetize this. Please create the synchronicity that makes it possible for this to be shown to me. And you're, in a way, this is the ancient practices of sexual magic, which um, are still current today and um, are very, very interesting. The only thing is that it's important to know that you can be trapped by new creation. So really what you're describing and defining as sexual magic is that in the process, the orgasmic experience, we can actually use that open space during orgasm to create? Yes, 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 absolutely. Uh, you can, you know, when you plant seeds, some die because the soil is infertile and some grow wonderfully because you have a fertile soil. And actually, uh, the process of magic is, in parts, uh, about the ability to call forth or to manifest um, certain things. Uh, and uh, that is best done when you plant those seeds of manifestation, those seeds of creation into the fertile soil of an ecstatic moment or an ecstatic consciousness or a blissful consciousness. And so that's what I teach in the book, The Art of Sexual Magic, that, um, uh, you know, is based on the idea that when you're in an orgasmic moment, um, you can relax in that moment and then you can hold a vision of what it is that you want to call forth into your life or manifest. And there is a greater chance of this uh, happening than there would be if you were doing that from a place of being worried or being very much in your mind or, uh, you know, not being plugged in your vertical. You know, it's like in, when you're plugged into your vertical, you're plugged in from the roots of your being to the crown and beyond, to, to the divine, to the expansive part of yourself. And so it is uh, often said that the universe answers to those who are able to feel into what it is that they want to call forth in their life. Because the universe answers more to feeling in the creative process than to thought forms or mental uh, processes. Now, I love this being plugged into your vertical. I've never heard that phrase. I've also never heard the word heartgasm before. So I thought that was, you have some wonderful original language here, Margot. But, you know, at the moment of orgasm in this big open space, am I going to be feeling something I want to create? I mean, I'm, I'm not really, you know, in my major manifester mode at that moment. I mean, I'm kind of, you know, deeply open, relaxed. What do I do at that point? I write something down before. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, that's something that I explain in The Art of Sexual Magic. It's like you actually 
have to prepare this. You create a symbol because it's sometimes easier to, uh, you know, call forth an image than it is a word. So you create a symbol and or a logo, if you wish, that represents what it is you want to manifest. And then uh, you simply hold this in your heart, in your mind, in your being at the appropriate time. And this symbol or this logo goes an affirmation or a phrase. Uh, I am in whatever it is. Uh, I am whatever it is. But it has to now, Margo, I think the criticism that comes up in people's minds or something like, so am I now like having sex to get a Lexus? Do you know what I mean? To get a new car? I'm going to like cut out an image of a new car, you know? Oh, but I'm not necessarily talking about lovemaking or having a sexual orgasm here. I'm more talking about um, cultivating an ecstatic moment in your inner peace, in your inner meditation, cultivating the afterglow of your moment of love, of your orgasmic moment. It's in the relaxed afterglow that if you agree with your partner to cultivate a particular manifestation, you can plant that seed, you see. It doesn't have to be during the time of the orgasm, but it has to be that you have created a fertile soil, which is a deep state of contentment, because actually... I have um, uh, I have discovered that uh, the state of stabilized contentment is my current definition of being awake. Uh-huh. You know, it's not stars and stripes. It's not the ultimate great sexual orgasm and the great sexual release. It's not all that that the ego makes it to be. It's a state of inner contentment that loves what is, as Byron Katie so well says. Uh, it's just so you are in that state of openness and you feel good about yourself, about life, about your partner. If you have a partner at that moment, you may not have a partner at that moment. This whole process doesn't depend on having a partner, which is the ultimate freedom that I like so much because your contentment doesn't depend on having good sex with a good partner. And so at that moment, you have prepared your symbol, you have prepared your affirmation, whatever you want to call to yourself, and then bingo, you release it in that field. You pronounce it, you see it, you call for it. Now, you said something interesting, that it's important to know also how to discreate, and I wasn't quite following you there. Can you explain that to me? Well, I'll give you an example. I, I did this practice uh, quite a long time ago to manifest a house. And I manifested a millionaire's mansion in Mill Valley. And then many years later, the time came for me to sell it. And I couldn't sell it. And I realized that I had never considered uh, the option of um, making sure that in my manifestation, there was also the possibility of releasing that manifestation. I hadn't called for that. I hadn't created that. And so people who are interested in doing such practices should include in their practice the option that this has been, this is, it will be possible to give this back, you know, to let it go, to transform it, to sell it, whatever it is that would be discreating what you had magnetized to yourself. Mm -hmm. Now, I think there's a lot of, debate and confusion about this whole idea of manifesting. 
I think some of the debate is, do I really want to be this active manifester of specific things, or do I just want to say, you know, thy will be done, and allow my heart to open and connect to light and spirit like you described, and let the universe deliver life through me? Yes, I agree. Those are two schools of thought, and they go far and deep all the way to talking about enlightenment or awakening. There are those who say it happens by grace whenever you're ready and you have no option uh, regarding this. And uh, others say, no, you have to practice deeply and diligently. And there's methods and approaches that let you confront your uh, patterns and your resistances until you go through them and then you're ready. So that corresponds to what you were saying. Uh, I would say it's not either or. But I would say that, you know, this process of manifestation is something that I rarely do. But usually when I do it, it works. But I rarely do it because uh, if I'm really, really honest, uh, in order to be doing it properly, I have to be 100% aligned with my goal or vision. I have to have uh, come into a complete agreement in my being with the possibility of this being so and of manifesting it. Uh, I have to be at peace and in harmony with that goal and that manifestation. And I have to be with an opened inner channel where each of my chakra can welcome the vision of that manifestation. And I have then to be in a place of gratitude, uh, realizing that this manifestation has already happened. It's just uh, not uh, the timeline is not yet uh, that is in front of me. But you know, gratitude is a very deep part of this whole process. So um, this is a practice in itself. It's a training in itself. You can't just sit in the middle of your office, put a poster on your wall and say, blah, 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 and then think, okay, that's enough. You know, you have to, it's a meditation. It's a meditation practice. It sounds to me, Margot, in this conversation that you spent several decades really focusing on sexuality and moving the orgasm up the body and that now in this period of time that you're in Bali you're more focused on the meditative process and so first of all I'm curious if that's true and if it is if you're finding anything different about how we transform through sex versus how we transform through meditation um well yes the for me uh, and what i observe around me is that going through sexuality has a tremendous amount of traps and the traps are those that are revealed when the sexual energy moves through the first uh, three uh, chakras in other words the trap of neediness uh the trap of feeling it's never enough uh the trap of feeling dependency the trap of feeling jealousy uh, and so on and so on and so on. And even on a deeper level, uh, the consideration that desire in itself is a trap. You know, desire is the motor of life and it's uh, the road to hell. You know, it's a paradox in itself that every truth has its counter truth and they both are one in the moment of the experience, you know. Uh, you can't have light without darkness. You can't have love without hatred. You can't have... It's just the nature of things in the human domain. So uh, in the sexual approach, there are all these uh, traps to go through. 
And when you have finally gone through them and come to the heart, then there are the complaints that, well, the sex isn't so hot anymore. And so then you turn it into a kind of a friendship. And then the sexuality becomes different depending on which uh, generation you're in. But the other approach, the descending approach, going from light uh, and uh, cultivating meditation down into the body, uh, has um, uh, a certain freedom because you have achieved the ultimate of the tantric practices because let's not kid ourselves. We all think that, and I want to say something about that, uh, kind of give a criticism of what the word tantra uh, elicits in people's minds these days. But that's another, I'll come to that. But uh, meditation, you know, you're free. It's between you and you. You are your partner. You are your yin. You are your yang. And you are opening the door to the Buddha within. And so uh, this is, uh, in my estimation, this freedom is absolutely priceless. Because when you reach this inner state of contentment, you don't need anything or anybody. And then you can be available to whatever comes and whatever is, and you have a tremendous sense of uh, freedom. It's like there's no more the mental complaints about, yeah, 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 my life should be another script and it should be different and I'm not happy about this or I'm not happy about that. What is, is. So deal with it. You are the source of it all, you know. So that's my answer. Now, you want to say something about Tantra and, and what people think Tantra right. really is. I notice, uh, particularly lately, uh, I went to do a series of lectures in Australia, and uh, there I saw a film, and I had the impression that there's a whole, and there were a lot of Americans involved in that, um, and I also teach in America sometimes, and so uh, I see that currently my impression is that Everybody is into this feeling of releasing the taboos and releasing the constraints that were so long uh, put around our sexuality and the guilt and uh, and looking for new models. And these models have to do with expanding beyond the limitations of, let's say, monogamous uh, relationships. So now many, many people go into, yuppie, I'm freeing myself and I'm going into a polyamorous situation and I'm having lots of partners to explore uh, different styles of lovemaking. Well, that's fine, but don't call it Tantra. You know, that is uh, a, a, a certain level that is part of the path and the process. But the true Tantra, in my vision, is a mystical experience that allows you to navigate towards awakening, towards your full awakening as a divine uh, representation of the divine, as a Buddha. And so, uh, you know, it's a, it's a demeaning to the mystical path that Tantra truly is, uh, to call Dakas and Dakinis, uh, people that are basically giving sessions of, um, uh, multi-orgasmic response, uh, and to say, uh, I will give you an orgasm and I'm a Dakini. You know, Dakinis by tradition, are female Buddhas that are dedicating themselves to full awakening uh, with spiritual practice being done with a partner usually, but sometimes without a partner. And um, the full awakening requires that there is a lot of um, practice, but is also a lot of giving up of things, of letting go of things, and of developing transcendental 
capacities and potentials that we have in ourselves that go way beyond the polyamorous situation. Okay. So now, now you're saying yeah. a couple of different things here, so I want to make sure to tease it out. So in terms of polyamory versus monogamy, do you think that tantric practice can happen in both environments? I think that tantric practice uh, depends on a deep commitment of two spiritual partners that are on the same track and on the same path. That is what will take you to the furthest uh, uh, realms. And that can be, uh, you know, in the space of 15 days when you get together uh, on a hermitage type of journey, uh, or it can be in the space of a lifetime, or it can be uh, in the space of a weekend. It depends. But the idea of coming together, in all sense of the terms, I would say, uh, to uh, explore a certain practice is what is required here. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. If you're interested in listening to previous episodes of Insights at the Edge, they're all available for free in a searchable database as part of our new direct access membership program. For more information, please visit soundstrue.com forward slash direct access. And now back to Insights at the Edge. Now, Margot, we're covering a lot of ground here, and I can imagine a listener who's thinking to themselves, you know, I haven't explored the fullness of sexuality. And in fact, what I've seen in terms of my own friendships and a lot of people that I know is that often people turn to Tantra or a Tantric workshop or a training of some kind when they've reached a point in their sexual life, their relationship life, where they feel somewhat dissatisfied. You know, I've gotten bored. I've been in this relationship a long time. And, you know, honey, maybe we should go to a tantric workshop. What would you say to that person? I'd say they're doing the right move. Uh, you know, you, you don't, you have to come to, a, unfortunately, our human condition makes it such that we have to come to a dire condition or uh, reach the end of the line before we decide that we take the next step to wake up more. But uh, it doesn't matter whatever the, the reason is. The point is that you have to know which workshop you choose and which teacher you go to because you will always imbibe the impurities of the teacher you go to. And there's too many teachers nowadays in these workshops that are trying to create their personal harems out of the participants in their workshops. And I am totally disagreeing with that. There has to be a lot deeper integrity in the way this stuff is taught. So that's number one. Number two, going to the proper Tantra training is that you go through all the dimensions. You go through the dimension of allowing yourself to, excuse me, the expression, fuck your brains out. The dimension of allowing yourself to understand how you cultivate the orgasmic experience so you can have you can go through, your, you can heal your sexual traumas and you can feel pleasure in every millimeter of your internal flesh, in your genitals and in your body. And then moving this energy through your central channel and then getting this energy to expand into higher states of consciousness. This is all part of the one country teaching, but 
uh, it doesn't always happen in a lot of these tantric workshops that we go to this deeper dimension. And yet, thousands of people still tell me today that I have changed their lives for the better and um, the work with me was worth 15 years of therapy because they have been able to navigate this entire dimension I just mentioned. Because the best sex is not just to have an explosive orgasm of release. It's to have an implosive orgasm of expansion, you know, and then to have to cultivate this orgasm independently of the sexual context. So you find your deeper freedom and you don't need a partner. That doesn't mean you don't have partners. It means you're free of the dependency, the jealousy, the you can only have me and all this la 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 la, which then gets us a certain point rather boring. When you say independent of the sexual partner, you're not talking here about masturbation. You're talking more about the orgasmic life, if you will? Yeah, meditation. Uh Uh-huh. Mind you, you can practice self-pleasuring, learn how to pull this orgasmic energy through your heart and to your brain, and and develop the the explosive, I mean, the implosive orgasm of expansion through starting from the first chakra with self-pleasuring. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Absolutely good. There was this interesting quote that I read about that you use in your work, and this is a quote from Osho, a teacher that you studied deeply with, which is that you can't be orgasmic in love if you can't be orgasmic in anger. And I thought that was a very interesting comment about the quote-unquote orgasmic life, and, and I'm wondering if you can explain that. Well, yeah, because uh, this is predicated on the understanding that at the first degree, uh, orgasm is a huge explosion, explosion, release, joy, uh, let go, etc. And so uh, to be able to touch the energy of your anger uh, in such a degree that you can actually accept it, that you can express it, that you can make noise with it, that you can scream it, that you can pound it on the floor, just like you do in bioenergetic practices, for instance, this is very healthy because you don't contract around something that you know you keep in because you don't dare to put it out. Uh, whether it's sex or sexual juice or sexual desire or anger, it's all this energy that needs to be released. So that's what I mean by that. And now, what about somebody who's coming to a tantric workshop because they're interested in exploring the world of multiple orgasms, whether it's a man or a woman, and they have a sense that that's a frontier for them that they want to experience? Uh, Well, the first key about being able to experience multiple orgasm is that you do not uh, release the energy, but you contain it uh, while you stay relaxed in it. And this is, this is the art of the tantric uh, practice in Sky Dancing Tantra in the level two of the love and ecstasy training, uh, where you at the same time guide your partner to uh, stimulate your orgasmic points. And at the same time, you relax in this arousal and you move the energy through your different chakras or different energy centers. And so uh, at that moment, you become more aware of your multi-orgasmic capacity. But it's interesting because um, women are naturally multi-orgasmic. They can, some women, not all women, but some women can um, 
have one release and then continue to make love and have another and continue to make love and have another. And um, men typically, unless they uh, have explored this and they have received training, um, cannot uh, really have that as easily as a woman. They peak and they let go and then they need a refraction period where they rest. And one of my theories, exploring the world as I did, is that one of the reasons why in some parts of the world the women are so repressed by men is because um, I would say, well, I'm not going to mention names or countries just because uh, we all want to stay healthy and um, not make enemies. But in some parts of the world, um, I have uh, explored and interviewed uh, people that thought that they needed to control uh, the woman and prevent her from being multi-orgasmic because if she became multi-orgasmic, she would be too feisty and she could not be controlled anymore uh, by the men. So at the root of this uh, tremendous uh, control of the feminine population lies the fact that she's multi-orgasmic and he's not. When you start to think about it, it's a very interesting and um, challenging avenue of thought. That there's a an aspect of control that's going on here. Yeah, because if a man uh, has spent his energy and he's next to a woman who is ready to go on, uh, he doesn't feel very good, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Doesn't feel controlling her. He doesn't feel she's she's uh, the more she gets it, the more she flies, the more she wants it. And the more um, she's uh, passing beyond his control, and he basically wants her to have, in many uh, parts of the world, to have no pleasure, to have the excision of their uh, clitoris so that they can be completely domesticated. And the pleasure factor, which is the liberating, empowering factor, is uh, kept for the men. Mm -hmm. Because she is multi-orgasmic by nature, and he's not. Yeah, but you've worked a lot with men, and do you find it relatively easy for men to become multi-orgasmic? Yes, indeed. For the for the pleasure of uh, themselves and for the pleasure of the ladies, because a man is always delighted when he can be the captain of his ship and uh, he doesn't uh, become subservient to, oops, I didn't really want this to happen kind of level. <laughs> now, I'm sure that You've dealt with this quite a lot, but the other reason that I hear a lot of couples turning to a tantric workshop is because they're just not communicating very much or very well about their sexual life. It's an area where, for whatever reason, one of the partners is perhaps shy or thinks, you know, I shouldn't have to talk about this. So what's your basic take on that? Um, yes, uh, it's, it's difficult in a couple to have one partner, uh, directing the show or asking for something because it implies that the other, that the partner that's asking is not satisfied with the situation as it is. So the ego of the other one can be rubbed the wrong way. So it's much easier when you have a neutral teacher that stays out of the equation, but guidance and, um, it's also that a lot of people are not aware of the importance of of creating a time out or what we call in our trainings uh, a, a sacred space 
where you do a salutation to each other. And before you do that, even you turn off the, the telephones and the bells and the faxes and the whatevers and uh, create a space of quiet in the household where you don't have any obligations of any kind. And then you sit in quiet with a candle and incense. And then you make a salutation to each other, which says a namaste, which says, I honor you and uh, you honor each other. And that means that you're ready to give your full presence and your full attention to the unfolding moment. And in that moment, uh, you are ready to receive uh, and to give the healing that is required. And that, of course, goes through words. But in that moment, you also agree that you're not going to be critical of the other or of yourself, that you are going to remember that you are an orgasmic woman and you are an orgasmic man. And if you choose this mantra, then you will choose the path that uh, is choosing the positive, choosing what works in your direction and not what doesn't work that you forever chew on and talk about and complain about because that is not going to get you to be more orgasmic. That is going to become to get you to become less orgasmic. So in that namaste, in that moment of creating a sacred space, you are willing to open up to a healing and to a clear communication with each other. But this, again, is a willingness to move beyond cultural patterns or habits. It also seems like in order to really explore sexual tantric practice, that two people need to set aside perhaps more time than they're used to engaging in sexual practice. This is not like a 10-minute quickie. We're not, it's not what we're talking about here. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, the uh, tantric practice is exactly like the meditation practice or like the yoga practice. You don't become a yoga master without uh, spending uh, a very substantial number of hours uh, studying yoga and even flying to India for that matter. You don't become a ski champion without spending uh, seasons and hours and years doing the slalom. You don't become a tennis champion doing the same. You have to do your practice. And so you have to choose that domain as being your domain of exploration and study. It's like that in everything you want to learn. There needs to be a focus and a dedication to whatever it is you want to learn, and then you get it. It seems like in a lot of people's lives, they don't dedicate that kind of time to something like a sexual practice. They're very busy with their careers or raising children, something like that. The idea of three weeks dedicated to exploring sexual practice. What? Well, that's why they have sounds true. Now they don't need to dedicate uh, traveling to a workshop. They can just listen to whatever the wonderful, uh, you know, recording sounds true is uh, presenting. Okay, I like that. Now I want to end on this one note, Margot. There's one quote that I found from you in researching for this conversation that I thought was beautiful, and I had never heard it before said quite like this. And it's just three words. Truth is erotic. And I thought, wow, what a beautiful quote from Margot Anand. Truth is erotic. And I wonder if you can let us know what you find to be a turn-on about truth. Um, well, truth is risky, and risk is exciting. Because when you tell the truth to your partner, you always risk to be rejected or to be uh, disagreed with. So uh, by exposing your fullness, you become vulnerable. 
And by becoming vulnerable, you are also in a state of surrender. And at that moment, any woman who is in that place is eminently attractive to a man. And uh, at that moment, any man who is in that place is eminently attractive to a woman. Uh, the heart is called and the heart wants to come and uh, be close. Beautiful. And, you know, I just want to end, Margot, by really acknowledging you and acknowledging not just what a pioneer you've been in bringing tantric practice to the West, but also here going to Bali, putting up the closed sign on your teaching world and letting your own inner spiritual practice deepen. I find this all quite brave of you and very inspiring. So I want to just acknowledge you for that. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to acknowledge you for being a very, very sharp and smart uh, woman who knows how to read the signs and ask the right questions and stay on purpose and relax within herself. And I've always had a deep appreciation for you and what you've created in the world. So thank you for uh, calling me for this interview. I've been speaking with Margot Anand, and with Sounds True, she's created two audio programs, One's called Sexual Magic Meditations, and also a six-session audio learning course on the art of sexual magic, discovering the sacred roots of sexuality as both an erotic art and a meditative tradition. Margot, it's great to be in touch, and best of luck to you with this new evolution in your work. Thank you, Tommy. The same to you. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.